Welcome to the Texas Sports Nation podcast. I'm Greg Rogan with the Houston Chronicle. I'm joined today by Houston Chronicle staff writer Danielle Lerner. Danielle, welcome. Our first time doing a podcast together, so I'm looking forward to this and uh, hope to have a good conversation about a recent story you did here. How, how are things today? Excited to make my debut on the Greg Rajan Show. We don't call it that. We want to try to attract listeners, so uh, we just call it the Texas Sports Nation podcast. <laughs> you did a story last weekend about Dusty Baker. He was on the brink of 2,000 career managerial wins. He picked it up Tuesday when the Astros beat the Mariners. Wanted to talk to you a little bit about that story and some of the people you talked to for it. You talked to a lot of players over his five different managerial stops. What was some of the most interesting things you learned talking to these guys for this story? I mean, I think it's the the resounding sentiment that we've heard from even people in Houston and elsewhere ever since Dusty took the Astros job, which is just that the term players manager gets thrown around so much. But that's because Dusty has just been the same guy since he was a player. He really hasn't changed everything that we see now in the Astros dugout with the wristbands and the toothpicks and, you know, his little hey man. Like, that is how he has been since he got his first managerial job with the San Francisco Giants in 1993. You know, I talked to John Smoltz last fall before the World Series, asked him about, like, what makes Dusty connect with so many different generations of players because he's managed guys. I mean, he's really he's coached guys starting in the late 80s, and he's now in the 2020s managing guys. And Smoltz said, basically, he's got the credentials of everything. There's like, there's no one that he can't relate to. What is it about Dusty Baker that just makes it easy for him to connect with these players of different generations, nationalities, I mean, life experiences? I think he's just, first of all, a personable guy, but he shows players under his care that he cares about them as people. You know, we've heard stories about he brings uh, people their favorite foods um, in the clubhouse all the time, and he gets to know them and what music they like. And he likes to, he loves to talk about music. He loves to talk about um, cultural experiences and, um, you know, even like systemic problems with racism in our society and within baseball. Like nothing is off limits to him. He's not one of those guys that just comes in and is all business and wants to just talk baseball. Um, and he also has stories about everybody you know he's been in the game so long that naturally he has all these experiences that even young players um who maybe weren't around to watch him as a player even you know they know these names Hank Aaron they know these names Barry Bonds they want to know Dusty's experiences with these types of people because they can learn from them so it doesn't matter you know that there may be a huge age gap but you also have to remember Dusty has a a son Darren who you know is, is young is in his 20s. So he just came out of college. He just got drafted last year by the Nationals. So it's not like he doesn't know how to relate to younger people. Um, I just think that, you know, he's had to change and surround himself with coaches who maybe are more adaptable to the modern paces of the game, but he can just connect with people by being himself. You had an interesting tweet after the Astros win on Wednesday afternoon. Um, it was about Justin Verlander asking Dusty Baker if he'd or the biggest moments he'd witnessed. And Dusty Baker's like, well, I was there when Hank Aaron broke Babe Ruth's record. And I was there when Barry Bonds broke Hank Aaron's record. So, I mean, it's kind of a, kind of a great mic drop moment there for Dusty Baker when you talk about his place in the game. When I look at Dusty Baker, he's kind of a unicorn because how does a manager like him stick around in these times that are so driven by analytics when 
you know, the manager is kind of an extension of the front office and, and really does the bidding of the general manager in the dugout. Dusty seems very iconoclastic compared to some of these other managers in the game. Yeah, I will say Dusty was actually in the on-deck circle, I believe, when Hank Aaron hit number 715 um, and to break Babe Ruth's record. So he was he was very much there. Uh, I don't think he was actually, I'm not sure he was actually in the ballpark when Bonds broke Aaron's record because that was the season. He was in between his jobs with uh, the Cubs and the Reds. So he wasn't managing in the game when that happened. But, um, you know, he's been around through all these things, as you just said. And I think um, the longevity kind of speaks for itself. But I think that he, in some ways, has not, you know, adapted and changed with the game. And in a lot of ways, he has. But in a lot of ways, he has not. You know, Paul Yanish, who played for him on the Reds, was telling me a story even about how, you know, Dusty, even back then, would make lineup changes or make in-game decisions where maybe it wasn't the best it wasn't supported by by the analytics or the stats that they had on hand or someone would say well why did you do that and he just goes well I felt it in my gut he goes by feel and Paul said you know sometimes people disagree with that especially nowadays that's against the trend but one thing that Paul said he respected about Dusty is that he's upfront about going with his gut and he goes by feel and whether you like it or not, he, that's how he does things. And he is very honest about it. And he still says that, you know, now a lot of times we'll ask him about a lineup change he made. And he's just like, oh, I just thought of it last night. I woke up in the night and I thought about it or I came in today and I just decided that I, I didn't like this guy hitting here and I wanted to change it. So he, he's someone who, at, at the very least, if he makes decisions, um, he, he takes ownership for him and he just says, like, look, I did what I did. He's a very unique hire here in Houston because he wasn't hired by the general manager. He was actually hired by the owner, Jim Crane, after they fired Jeff Luno and A.J. Hinch following the sanctions for the sign-stealing scandal. James Click came along later. If we look back, in hindsight, how much of the right hire was Dusty Baker for the Astros at the time, considering the PR hit they took? Obviously, things changed that season. You have the coronavirus pandemic and there aren't fans in the ballpark. So it's not like Dusty has to shield them from media or fans the whole season, but still he, it seemed like just the right guy to have come into a volatile situation. At least that's my view on it. I do think that a big part of the initial hiring of Dusty Baker was kind of the, the PR part of it. He's a likable, personable guy. Um, he had not really, you know, yeah, he had lost a few of his jobs, but he wasn't some big implosion by any means. You know, he didn't really have uh, a whole ton of baggage that he was bringing with him. So that alone was part of it, right? And that's not a knock on his his skills as a manager and, and his other attributes. But I do think that that played a big part in him coming into Houston initially. Now, he did have success with the roster that he inherited. You know, these weren't, you know, moves that, that he was, orchestrating behind the scenes by any means so that's certainly you know you have to take that into account that he was given um a very very good roster but it it takes something still to do something with that roster um you know it you can come in very easily and feel like you were gifted this and you don't have to do anything and you just go out and let the players play and do what they do and to a large extent that is what Dusty was able to do in his first season here but there are also the, the little minutia that you have to manage day to day. So I think that the fact that he was successful and that the players just liked him so much um, was a big part of why he has stuck around since then. Dusty's a guy that talks very much about, you know, living in the moment. 
he's had a a lot of high profile setbacks though if you look at his career you know with the giants in 2002 there i think it's nine outs away from winning the world series in game six and they have a meltdown obviously steve bartman the steve bartman game with the cubs his reds teams there were a couple i think i know at least one series against giants where they were up two nothing after winning the first two on the road then they lose the series the nationals had a couple of flame outs the Astros, the first year he was here, they lose game seven of the ALCS to the Rays. Last year, you know, they lose the World Series in six games to the to the Braves. Can't really fault them. I thought they kind of overachieved. But does he carry any regrets about some of these setbacks? Do they really eat at him at all? I don't think they really eat at him, but does he have regrets? Yeah, and he's the first to say, like, like he remembers all of that stuff. He's not going to forget that. Um, it's not something that keeps him up at night at this point, like, he always likes to say he he just doesn't like to worry about anything. That's really just not in his wheelhouse anymore at this point in his career. He's done worrying about stuff. But I do think that the one knock that that his career has is um, his kind of lack, relative lack of postseason success, right? And so that's why I think also winning the ALCS with the Astros in 2021 was a really big deal for him because getting back to that World Series, which of course you know he's won division titles with a bunch of teams, but he has not had that success in the World Series. He has not had a, a ton of success in championship series even. So I think that that was a really huge landmark for him. But he is not someone who likes to put pressure on himself in the moment to reach certain milestones, whether it's wins, whether it's a certain um, you know point in the postseason, whatever. But yeah, he can look back and appreciate this was a really, really big deal for me to accomplish. And here's something I didn't accomplish that I regret. And a good example of that um, is something that Anthony Rendon told me for this story that I did. You know, Rendon played for Dusty on the Nationals um, when Dusty was there from 2016 to 2017. Now he's with uh, the Angels, of course, um, Anthony is. And Anthony said, you know, he was really on me in 2017. He wanted me to get 100 RBIs on the season. And he was like so on me about it that it was getting close to the end of the season. I was exhausted. I was begging him for a day off and he gave me a couple of days off, but then I played the last series of the season. And in one of the last days of the season, he ended up getting a hundred and he asked Dusty, like, why was it so important to you that I get a hundred? And Dusty said, well, I never got it. Dusty had one season as a player where he got to 99 and he never reached that 100 mark. And that is something that he told Anthony he always regretted and he didn't want Anthony to regret it. So I think that just shows you that he does carry these things with him and he does try and make sure that his players um, are not having these regrettable experiences that he has had. He's the 12th manager to reach 2000 career wins. The first 10 are inducted in the baseball hall of fame. The 11th is Bruce Bochy. He's not yet eligible for election, but he seems like he'd be a slam dunk, you know, winning three World Series with the Giants. Do you see any way where Dusty Baker doesn't make the Hall of Fame, even though he he could possibly end his managerial career without a World Series ring as a manager? He does have one as a player with the Dodgers, of course. Yeah, I mean, I think personally he is a very good case. I don't have a vote in this, but, you know, we never, as we've seen time and time again, you can't really predict what voters will do. It's kind of a fickle game in itself, right? Electing people to the Hall of Fame. So I personally think that he's going to get in, but can I guarantee that? No. He turned 73 in June. His first two years with the Astros, they've kind of been year by year. He, You know, they exercised his option during the 2020 season because I guess they didn't... 
think it would be fair to him, you know, just managing the shortened coronavirus season. How much longer do you see him managing? Or is he a guy that still has a lot of juice left in the tank? I think he does, but I think that it's getting to the point where there's very few things that he has left to accomplish. Obviously, a World Series win would be one of them. So I don't know if that means that if they get there again, or certainly if, if they win it, that he would call it quits and say, you know, I'm going to go out at the top. I'm not sure how motivated he really is at this point to keep going years and years and years to reach that. I also think that it's going to depend a lot on that, that outlook with the Astros after this season. Like, let's say that they get back to the World Series and they don't, don't win it, or they make a postseason run, but they don't get there. Um, looking at the pieces that they would have coming back for next season, you know, they've got a lot of young core players like Jordan Alvarez and uh, Kyle Tucker, who will be arbitration eligible. It depends, A, if the Astros want to bring Dusty back, but even if they do, if he feels like he would have as good a chance next year to attain some of those things that he has yet to attain. I do think that he's getting to the point where he's not willing to stay in it another 10 years just to get to that. But I don't think he's at the point now where he's thinking about quitting or being done. Uh, as we've, as you said before, he likes to stay in the present moment. Let's pivot to the Astros on the field right now. You've covered a couple of their recent series. They just swept the Mariners in a three-game series at Minute Maid Park. They lost two out of three to Toronto, but that was a very good series, very high-level series north of the border. They lost two one-run games to the Blue Jays. They beat the Rangers three out of four the series before that. Does it seem like the Astros are turning a corner and looking more like the Astros that we've been accustomed to the, these last six, seven years with these last few series they've played? Yeah, I do think that everything's kind of clicking at once right now. The pitching especially has been exceptional within this six-man starting rotation that they've been they've been doing. The bullpen so far has been very shorthanded, but still delivering. And then it seems like the hitting has also come alive now, um, especially in this series over the Mariners. They had a couple nights where they would have multiple guys with two-hit games or a guy with a three-hit game and, and another guy with a two-hit. So production's kind of coming from everywhere. It's not all at once. But we've seen almost every single part of the lineup produce. Catcher position is obviously a problem in terms of hitting. And their center fielders can be a little bit spotty. But I think everyone else is hitting their stride. And we saw this at this time last season as well. You have to remember, right, we're, we're just now getting into May. It still is very relatively early. They had a slow start last year. I think they started maybe 7-10 and 10 last year as well, something like that. Um, before they really got going. So I don't think it's it's time to, to panic just yet. I think we are seeing them turn a corner. How much of a pleasant surprise has Jeremy Pena been with what he's done so far? Yeah, I mean, it is a very small sample size again. So I don't think we can anoint this guy the next Carlos Correa by any means. But he has done a very admirable job, not just in terms of taking over from Carlos, which anyone, that's a, that's big shoes to fill for anyone but especially for a rookie. If we just look at it in the context of forget who was in this position before, you have a rookie shortstop who really didn't have very many at-bats um, and didn't have that much minor league experience before last year, even including last year. He just really doesn't have a lot compared to other prospects who get called up. Um, he's done very well, and he's showing that he takes responsibility for mistakes. Like He missed a sign um, in Toronto in one of the games last week. And he immediately stepped up and said, look, like my bad, it won't happen again. Um, and I think that gives him a lot of credibility within the Astros clubhouse among the veterans. 
um, and with the coaches because it shows that he is teachable and he's adapting. Um, he's getting way more comfortable at the plate. I think you can see he's making adjustments mid at bat, um, especially as he's tra- starting to see some of these pitchers multiple times. Yes, they're seeing him multiple times so they can figure out his habits as well, but it's working in reverse. Um, and then defensively, he's made some great plays. So I, I do think that it's a very promising start and we'll just have to see if it's sustainable over the course of the season. Last question I have for you. They're using a six-man rotation right now. At some point, they're going to go back to five-man when the schedule becomes more normal. They have a chunk here where they're playing, I think it's 33 games in 34 days. Yeah. Who looks like the odd man out right now in the starting rotation? Honestly, that's a really difficult question to answer, which I think is a good thing for the Astros, right? I would have said early on, right when they made the switch, that it would be Jake Odorizzi. But he's been fantastic his last two starts. He's really turned a corner. I think that if you look at it, not from just a starting pitcher performance aspect, but from holistically what the pitching staff as a whole needs, it would be difficult to leave Christian Javier in the rotation just because they don't really have anyone who can do what he does in the bullpen. They don't have a long guy that can come in and, and pitch like he does. Um, Brian Abreu has been the guy that Dusty Baker has said maybe could fill that role, but he very rarely goes uh, multiple innings. So I think I think just from that standpoint, you might see Javier go back in the bullpen, but it's good for them to know that he can be stretched out to a starter's limit um, if something changes or if someone else gets hurt, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, you look at Justin Verlander, he's, he's their ace again. There's no question about that. Um, Framber Valdez has been very, very good. Garcia and Ortiz have been solid. Uh, I don't think they've done anything worthy of getting pulled out of that rotation. So I, I think unless Jake Odorizzi backslides a little bit, you're looking at Javier probably going back to the bullpen. I lied. I have one more question. Space City uniforms, thumbs up or thumbs down? I like them. I think they look cool. Um, I like them I'm too. Not someone, I'm not someone who like is a stickler for very traditional uniforms. Um, and I think a lot of these like city edition uh, jerseys that Nike's been putting out for different teams have been pretty good. Some of them are like mad, but like, I really like the white socks one. that's just like South side on the front. Like some of them are very cool and, yeah, they're not supposed to look like the normal team uniforms with normal team colors. That's not the point of them. It's supposed to connect to the city, not to the franchise necessarily. So I dig Space City. I think they do kind of look like pajamas, but that's also why I like those um, old style like NBA warmups, like the Rockets were wearing for part of the season, like their city connect or city edition uniforms. Like uh, maybe I just like the comfy look. I don't know. This is the pandemic having its uh, having its effect. I've seen some people complain about the pants on the Astros uniforms, but the fans aren't wearing the pants. They're just buying the jerseys. So I think it works out fine. If you're buying the pants and you're rocking the whole look, we need to have a different conversation. Very good. Daniel Lerner, Houston Chronicle sports writer. Thank you very much for your time. Enjoyed the conversation. Hope to do this again sometime. Thanks. Thank you to everyone for listening to the Texas Sports Nation podcast. For more Houston sports coverage, please go to HoustonChronicle.com slash sports.